Chief. For the past couple of weeks, I've had this one word that's been on my mind. I've been just kind of going back to it over and over again. It's the word lifestyle. Say lifestyle. lifestyle. Wow, y'all are good. Lifestyle. It's been on my mind. Now, because I'm old and lame, when I say the word lifestyle, the actual first thing that pops into my mind is a chubby British man named Robin Leach who had a TV show in the 80s called Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous. Raise your hand if you're not too ashamed to join me in my lameness. Thank you. Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous, horrible show. We would spend a half an hour to an hour watching this guy video tour us through the home, the mansions of famous people, rich and famous people, actors, athletes, moguls, artists, what have you. And this was this famous thing, and people loved it. And, and, and he would end, I don't know if you guys remember, he would end by saying, I wish you all champagne wishes and caviar dreams. Remember that? Isn't that awful? How stupid is that? But we were there, man. And when mercifully that show ended, a few years later, MTV Cribs. You guys remember that? All right. So we were able to see the lifestyle of these people. But then when I realized that, I thought, well, I'm not really seeing somebody's lifestyle. I'm just seeing their house. I'm just seeing what they buy with some of their money. And while that's part of a person's lifestyle, see, Webster actually de defines lifestyle as habits, attitudes, tastes, moral standards, and economic status. So that's part of it. But all together, those things create a, a mode of living or a way of life. And that's what a lifestyle is. There's a couple of reasons why I've been thinking about lifestyle over the past couple of weeks. Many of you may be aware of this, that just over a week ago, my wife Rhonda's father, Jack Massey, passed away. And so we've been spending a lot of time with family talking about Jack's life, and Jack's lifestyle. In fact, on this past Tuesday, we, uh, we held a, it was a funeral service, but you know, we called it a celebration of life. Because that's what it was, is we were celebrating the choices that Jack made that created a lifestyle that, that, that meant something and made a difference in the life of his family, in the life of his community. I would like to say also to our church family, uh, you guys did a phenomenal job and have done a phenomenal job rallying around us and supporting us. We have felt just awesome and, and loved. I'll give you a quick story that's not, uh, this will be free of charge. No extra charge for this, this little story right here. Um, when Jack first went into the hospital, uh, Glenda's mom, I, I'm sorry, Rhonda's mom, Glenda, came over to our house to stay. Uh, for, and, and she did that for several days at a time and, and has been doing that. And so we just felt like this is what we could do to bless Glenda. So then the next morning I'm getting ready and I'm, I'm about to go to work. And so I, uh, I back, out of the, uh, back out of the garage and hit Glenda's car. She felt so supported and loved in that moment. <laughs> but, um, boy, she was such a champ about it, you know. She just said, she's like, you know what? There's more important things going on right now than my car. It was a, we gained perspective. And Glenda gained a new passenger side front quarter panel. Thank you, Geico. So that's a, a progressive. That's, that's, but anyway, so that's just a little story there. But we do want to say that you guys did a much better job of supporting Glenda than I personally did because nobody else hit her car. And thank you for that, for your being sensitive and, and, and really good drivers. But we do appreciate that. So, um, so these are the, like I said, there are two reasons why I've been thinking about the word lifestyle. One was uh, thinking about Jack Massey's lifestyle and how it blessed so many people. The second reason is because for a couple of weeks I've been planning to share this message with you on Romans 12, verses 9 through 21. 
in Romans 12, 9 through 21, um, is about Paul the Apostle who wrote the letter, the book of Romans as a letter in the first century, and he sent it to, um, to the Christians that were living in the ancient city of Rome. And he wrote, in these verses that we're going to talk about today, he wrote a description of what a, the life of a believer, of a Christ follower, can look like. What it should look like. And so, I've been thinking about lifestyle. Now, I want to pause and ask you guys, if you received, very important question, did you receive one of our um, worship guides this morning? Because it has in there... The, uh, the, the notes, that you can take notes on this message today. Or, if you don't want to take notes, you could make it look like you're taking notes because that makes me feel better. But if you didn't get one, please wave your hand in the air. Embarrass yourself. We want to get one into your hand. Yeah, we're good. Got a couple right here, Lynn. Um, so, uh, the reason I want you to say is that we're going to say, in just a few minutes, we're going to read all the verses in uh, Romans 12, verse 9 through 21. And they are actually just all in a bunch right there at the top of the notes page. And what I, I want to tell you that what Paul the Apostle does, and he wrote it to the first century Christians in Rome, but the Word of God, the Bible is God's Word. It's alive and it speaks to us today. So in a sense, he was writing it to us. So he wrote these, they are, there are instructions. It's a, it's a guide to living a life that, that, that Christ followers should live. And I just want to tell you straight up, and you can, you can check me on this later when you get a chance. There are no less than 30 instructions in these 13 verses. 30 instructions about what a Christian's lifestyle should be. 30, that's a lot. Now, I've got good news and bad news. The good news is, this is not a 30-point sermon. The bad news is, this is not a 30-point sermon. What that means is, is that we don't have the time to go to do a deep dive on all of the instructions and the, and the commands that Paul gives us here. We're going to read them all, and we are going to... Um, we're going to talk about a few of them, and we'll do our best to generally cover them. But i tell you what we are going to do. We're going to tell you how critically important it is for these to matter in our lives. We're going to talk about the why. Why these instructions are critical to us. So I would encourage you, if you're interested, take this, uh, these notes home, and, and if nothing else... On, uh, on these verses, these 13 verses, use these verses this week, in the week ahead for your devotion time. I know many of us have different Bible reading plans that we do, but maybe we could add this in this week. And we could let God show us in our lives where some of these areas might need, uh, we might need to embrace, we might need to, to work on those areas and allow Him to work. Now, before we get to that, I do want to say that when you... When you hear what I said, that in 13 verses, Paul gives us 30 commands. I want to make sure you understand that what I believe is that Paul is not making a checklist for us. He's not giving us a list of do's and don'ts. He is inviting us into a lifestyle. He is inviting us to live a certain way. And I think that a lot of times, Christ followers, uh, when we study the Bible, when we hear passages like this, we can kind of get a little off base. And let me explain how that happens. I'm gonna. I want to give you a. Uh, want to give you a phrase. It's what I call the sermon in a sentence, and you can fill this in on your insert notes. All right. And it's. And here's what it says: Life focus creates lifestyle. A life focus will create a lifestyle. You see, what it is that we focus on, we focus our energy, our attention, what we put a priority on, 
these are the things that are going to create what will ultimately and eventually be our lifestyle. And yes, when you assess a person's lifestyle, you probably could come up with a list of descriptors. But it's very important for us to understand that what God is trying to say to us today is not, here's a new list for you to work on. It's not a a spreadsheet of some sort that we have to start grading ourselves on. Here's what here's what we're we're being invited to a lifestyle and we don't create a lifestyle by checking boxes on a list. We create a lifestyle by focusing on what's important, deciding what's important and focusing on it. Life focus creates life style. Now here's how this plays out in the New Testament of Scripture. Almost every time that Paul the Apostle wrote a book of the Bible or a letter to one of these churches, it could, in some assessments of Paul's writings, you could break it down into two halves. He almost always spends the first half of his conversation telling people this is where we stand with God. God's forgiven us. He is rich in mercy and his great love for us, he's made us alive. We are, this is, Paul will say this is where we are with God. He's made us, he's made us clean. He's redeemed us. That's always good news. And I love that Paul starts his conversation always with that. Sometimes even in just a few verses of Scripture that are are clumped together, he does it. He does it in Ephesians chapter 2 where he says, By grace you were saved and it didn't happen because of something you did. The Bible term is works. It didn't happen because of our works. It happened because of God's grace. Woo! Best news ever, right? Amen? That's the time to say amen. Amens are good even if you have to coax them, right, Ed? Amen. Hallelujah. So, saved by grace, it's not by anything we did. It's not by our works. And do you know that just a few verses later, he says, y'all, we got some work to do. Woo. And he is not, he is not contradicting himself. He's saying this His first half is always, this is where we stand. And the second half is always, and so this is what we do. This is how it looks. This is how we live based on where we stand. The problem is, if we're not careful, we will tend to believe and we will start communicating uh, kind of a, a vibe in our teaching and in, our, in the rhythm of our faith life, and that vibe would look something like, yeah, it's great that God saved us by grace. But we kind of minimize that a little bit, or it was at one point in history, in our timeline, on our faith journey, and now that that's over, listen, we're going to be concentrating on this. We're going to be concentrating on the to-dos and the to-don'ts. We will leap over the first half And we will jump in to the second half, and that's all we ever talk about. And what it ends up doing in our own hearts and in the ears of those who hear us is they start saying, oh, well, it is a list, isn't it? It is a list of do's and don'ts. And it's not. It's a lifestyle that's based on what's most important and what we focus on. There's a great pastor. He's in Birmingham, Oak Mountain Presbyterian Church. His name is Bobby, uh, or Bob Flayhart. Bob Flayhart, honestly, that's his name. And, and he says, when he's describing this first half, second half thing with Paul, about where he says where we stand, and the second half is what we do, he says the problem with most of us is that we're like the church of Jesus, latter half saints. Pretty cute. First service laughed a lot more than you guys did. Probably the delivery. But here's the thing. We say 
We say, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm glad I got saved. But, boy, I got to get busy. I got to work this thing. We are the church of Jesus Christ, whole ball game saints. You understand what I'm saying? And we never, maturity for me in my spiritual life is not to ever get distant from the beautiful truth of what God did for me and giving me standing with him. Life focus creates lifestyle. So what is our focus? Now, the beautiful thing is we've been for weeks and weeks and weeks in the book of Romans, and you can see this whole thing play out in the book of Romans. Paul spent the whole first half or more than the first half of the book of Romans talking about our standing and how we're redeemed. Let me give you one little passage, two-verse passage that sums it up best of all. This is our focus. This is the focus on which we can build a lifestyle. Romans 3, 23 through 24. For everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet God, in his grace, freely makes us right in his sight. That's a problem. I don't have, can I get some water? I'm sorry. Thank you very much. All right. I don't have to pour it back in that one. You can give me a new one. I'm kidding. That is awesome. I thought that was, I thought there was water in that. That's quite embarrassing. But anyway, back to our focus. See, we got off focus. Now we're going to get back. Our focus is everyone sinned and we all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet God in his grace freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Jesus Christ, through Christ Jesus, when he freed us from the penalty of our sin. That is our story. That's our story. That's our song. Praising our Savior all day long. All day long. This never gets old. Thank you, Ed, how great thou art. You are just awesome. Thank you. So, that is our focus. And that focus, if we give God time, and if we remain focused on what he has done, and with enough reps, we'll see a lifestyle start to emerge. A lifestyle that is, uh, to, to the point we're not intimidated by this thought of, wow, this preacher's about to give me a list of 30 things that I either need to do or not do. And if I'm not right on all 30 of those things all the time, am I even, am I even in? You know, if I, am, am I even with God? Yes. You called out on the name of the Lord, you have been saved. Like all of us fell short, but you were made right because of God's grace. You focus on that and you live from that. In that reality, this is going to build a lifestyle. No list or no whatever is going to be intimidating to you. So that's the good news. So let's talk about the lifestyle. The first half or the first portion of these verses is an invitation to live a life of passion, to live with passion. Now, we're going to read through these first few verses, starting in verse 9. Don't just pretend to love others, really love them. I'm going to pause there, all right? I promise we won't do this the whole time. We're just going to pause a couple of places, hit a couple of high notes, and then do an overview, all right? But we don't, we don't just pretend to love others. We really love them. We, we, we want our love to be genuine. Love expresses itself through actions. 1 John 3.18 tells us that we are, as beloved children of God, we are not to just love with words, but we're to love with deeds and actions, and that expresses true Christian love for each other. So love is expressed through deeds, through our actions, through what we do. Next sentence says, hate what is wrong and hold tightly to what is good. Pause again. Don't panic. We are going to motor through this, all right? Hate what is wrong, hold tightly or cling to what is good. Now, if you are, if you expect churches and Christians and preachers and Bible stuff in general to be all about being angry and mad and hateful, then you probably just said, there it is. I knew it was coming. I 
thought they were cool because the band was good, but here it is. There, here come the hate. Listen, I, I can't, with what I say today, I can't undo whatever it is that you've experienced. I can't change your mind about what you think about that, that all Christians are angry, miserable, hateful people, if that's how you feel. I don't know. But all I'm saying is, yes, God hates sin. God hates sin. And the reason he hates sin is because sin kills things. Sin damages. Sin does damage to, to who God loves. And that's me and that's you. Sin kills things and does damage. And God hates anything, any force that's going to keep us from being fully alive. And he will set himself against that. Now, I will give you an example of this from my own personal life. My son Derek's 23 years old, lives up in Lynchburg, Virginia. And in November, he was diagnosed with acute myeloid leukemia. And he's, already, he's been through two uh, chemo treatments. He's doing really good. That's him on the right, for the record, because people get confused. But um, roll tide, as you see. And we were there uh, in Lynchburg a couple weekends ago for our annual Super Bowl visit. I will take a moment now to say, yes, I know that I was horribly wrong about the Super Bowl prediction. But uh, so Derek and I were there, and he's doing great. He really is doing. The doctors are amazed at how he's doing. He's got it starting tomorrow, his third chemo treatment, and then next month a stem cell transplant from his younger brother. I am wearing my Derek Strong shirt. I'm sporting this, my colors today. Thank you, Lord. <clears throat> if, you'd like, if you'd like one of these, let me know. I'm selling merch now. That is highly inappropriate. I apologize. But um, I'll, I'll tell you something. I hate leukemia. I hate it. I don't. I'm not. I'm not neutral about it. I'm not. I'm not wishy-washy. Straight up hate it. And if I could, I'd drive it off the face of the planet. I would. And that's the only way I can imagine how God feels about sin. About sin that damages his children. Damages those that he loves. Those who call on his name and those who never have. He hates it. And here's the deal. He could do something about it. And he did. And he sent his son pay the price for our sins on the cross and that is such a, an amazing thing that there is there's no way for anything else to be the focus of my life but the fact that it's like you guys remember that hymn um, I stand amazed anybody old Baptist hymns I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene, and I wonder how he could love me. You know, sinner, condemned, unclean. How marvelous, how wonderful is my Savior's love for me. It's, it's a beautiful story. And when we see the scriptures telling us, hate what is evil, it, it, Paul is telling us to grow a heart, grow a part of our heart like God's, that would hate evil, hate sin because of what it does to the people he loves and the people that he's calling and trying to win back. These are, these are just the first few sentences of this amazing passage of, passage of Scripture. Now let's keep going. Uh, verse 10, love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. Never be lazy, but work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. Rejoice in our confident hope. Be patient in trouble. Keep on praying. When God's people are in need, be ready to help them. Always be eager to practice hospitality as, as we as a church family, as you were for us over the last week or so. This is an amazing... All right, now, 
Check this out. The reason that I think this section of the verses is an invitation to live with passion is because I took a minute on my uh, notes thing and I circled the words that I called passion words or energy words or excitement words, all right? So it says, uh, love genuinely, hate what's wrong, cling to what's good, love each other with genuine affection, delight to honor each other, work hard, serve the Lord enthusiastically, rejoice in our confident hope, and always be eager to show hospitality. Man, I got to tell you, if you were ever under the impression that doing a Christian lifestyle was boring or kind of like expressionless and bland, you were misinformed. This is a life of passion. Listen to those words, enthusiasm, working hard, cling to what, I hate what's it, I mean, it's just this lifestyle, this invitation is an invitation to live with passion. You remember I told you there were like 30, some, you could probably even count more than 30 commands in these passages, you know, most of them, most of them are about how we treat other people. So get this, Paul the Apostle in the first century in what is considered to be his most important thing he ever wrote on paper, he decided that he would spend most of his time instructing us on how to treat each other. That's a big deal. Jesus himself said that the world would know we are his followers because of the love that we show to each other. We cannot gloss over We cannot skip this. We cannot act like this is not huge because it is. God wants to show himself to us through each other. So please take some time this week. And use this and say, Lord, show me. Show me how you want me to grow in these areas. Show me how you want to build this into my lifestyle. The second section of these verses is an invitation to make an impact. An invitation to make an imp impact. Excuse me. So let's read or let's start reading these verses. Uh, in 14, it says, bless those who persecute you. Don't curse them. Pray that God will bless them. Be happy with those who are happy and weep with those who weep. At this point, it's pretty clear to everybody that the first section of verses in this passage are awesome. And then the second section, not so much. Starting with love or bless those who persecute you. Bless those who persecute you. Don't curse them. Pray that God will bless them. Jesus himself in Luke chapter 6, verse 27, said pretty much the same thing to us. That we should bless those who persecute us. Wow. This is tough, right? Also for context, and I'm going to ask a question. This is not rhetorical. I would like to get an answer from you guys. Remind me once again where the people lived who Paul wrote this letter to, the first people to read these words. What city? Rome. Gotcha. Now, although it wasn't happening exactly at this time that the letter was written and read, what do we know happened to Christians eventually, not that long after? Eventually, what, what happened to Christians who lived in Rome? Super high-level persecution. Some were fed to lions in the gladiator arena. Some were lit on fire and burned to death, burned alive. So I'm sorry, I'm going to be harsh here for a second. I'm sorry, American Christian, if you feel like you're being persecuted for your beliefs, I'm just going to respectfully have to say, we got to get over it. If we're going to, I mean, and it's not a contest. And difficulty is difficulty, and persecution is persecution. We were told in the first half of the or first section of these verses to be patient in our tribulations. So that's our word. We become confident. 
in our hope? Are we bold and strong in our confident hope? But let's be real here. These people were facing death. And Paul was, Paul was giving them preliminary warning. Bless those who persecute you and pray for those. Pray that God will bless them. Most of us, if we have opposition in our lives, if we have people that to one degree or another cause drama, pain, annoyance, obnoxiousness, whatever you want to call it. If we have those people in our lives, most of us, our default setting is to distance ourselves as much as we can from them. Paul is saying, however the dynamics and logistics of the relationship works out, you're not supposed to, you're not supposed to live as if that person doesn't exist, and if that pain didn't exist. You know what we're supposed to do? We're supposed to pray for them. Pray that God will bless them, not pray that God will get them. Tough stuff. But this is, this is the lifestyle of a Christian. We'll, we'll, we'll get to more of that here in a second. Verse 16, live in harmony with each other. Don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people. And don't think you know it all. Let's jump to verse 17. Never pay back evil with more evil. Do things in such a way that everyone can see that you are honorable. Do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. Do all you can to live in peace with everyone. I think we all know it's impossible to live with, in peace 100% with everybody. But scripture says, do what you can. Another portion of scripture in the book of Ephesians says, as far as it is up to you. In other words, from your side of the ledger, keep it as clean as you can so that you can live in peace with other people. Verse 18, do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. I propose that somebody come up with an app, all right? You can make a million. You can make, well, maybe not millions because you would sell it to Christians. You could make thousands. <laughs> Excuse me. Um, you make an app that where every time a Christian is about to uh, respond to a post on social media, somebody they don't agree with, that that verse pops onto their screen. Isn't that genius? Wouldn't that work? That would be so awesome. There would be a whole lot more of us posting videos of kittens playing piano than the stuff we are posting. You understand what I'm saying? I mean, literally, could we just try, could we literally try to live at peace with everyone? Verse 19, dear friends, never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. For the scriptures say, I will take revenge. I will pay them back, says the Lord. Verse 20, instead, <clears throat> if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals of shame upon their heads. That's actually a quote from one of the Proverbs, Proverbs 25, verse 22, about the feed your enemy if they're hungry, give them water if they're thirsty, and in so doing you heap burning coals of fire upon their head, which sounds like a pretty graphic moment in the relationship, you know, but, and, and we'll talk about that here in a second. Now, the, when we're told never to take revenge, this is, a, this is just counterintuitive. Because just like a, a verse or so before, it says, don't pay back evil for evil. It is the, the human nature to pay back evil for evil, to pay back good for good. Jesus himself said, anybody can do that. I'm calling you to a different standard. I'm calling you to a different lifestyle. Now, it almost, with this whole, leave, don't take revenge, leave it up to God. Now, a, a word on revenge. Most of us. Not all of us, but the majority of the time in our lives, we will never have the real opportunity to actually take revenge on the people who have hurt us, harmed us, bothered us, or insulted us, or whatever it might be. Most of us won't have those opportunities. Some of us will, and we'll, and we'll certainly have to apply this scripture. 
But I will say this. All of us have the ability to write, uh, produce, direct, and star in a movie in our minds. And it's a revenge flick. And we call it a revenge fantasy or a payback daydream. And we all have them. And we think, man, I know it'll never happen, but boy, this is how it ought to go down. And we play that in our minds. And we wish that it would happen. But even if it doesn't happen, we find comfort somehow in this. Listen, Romans 12 is telling us to let it go. To let it go. And to trust that God will take care of what needs to happen. It would sound like, now I'll tell you, my revenge fantasy, uh, one of my big ones from, from recent years, was not even all that graphic. Here was my revenge fantasy. There were some people that I wanted to hear them say, I was wrong about you. That was it. It was probably not very entertaining to you, but it was big for me, man. I would play that movie in my mind. Here's the real truth. I'm not even sure if they were wrong about me. I don't know. And the people in first century Rome and the people in Columbus, Georgia, or wherever you're watching from in 2021, we know what this requires. To obey this command, to allow this to be part of our lifestyle. This requires forgiveness on a level that some of us haven't gone to yet. But I'm asking you, I'm asking you to take a bold step. I'm asking you, Paul is asking you to do the unusual thing. To lay down what we're holding against people and leave room for God to do his work. It would sound as if that... We're, we will do this, that the payoff, because it says, vengeance is mine, I will pay them back, says the Lord. It sounds like the payoff is, great, I'll surrender, I'll forgive, I'll get a little healed up in my heart, I'll be a better person. And then you know what's going to happen? God is going to bust them, man. It's going to be awesome. I don't even care if I'm alive when it happens, just knowing that God promised that he is going to scorch my enemies. Well, it makes me a happy Christian. Probably not where Paul was going with this. In fact, it's not where Paul was going, and here's why. <clears throat> Paul is saying, leave room for God to do his work. God will have mercy on whom he has mercy on, and he will, and he will pour vengeance on who he he's God and he decides and we're letting it go not knowing what that decision will be on his part and do you know why we do that because there was a time when he had mercy on me I stood in that place and he had mercy I can say, hard as it is, and it might take a few reps. You know what I'm saying? We don't like our, my, in my recovery group, we say, we don't claim spiritual perfection. We just claim spiritual progress. You know, we're just working towards the goal, right? I'm going to let it go. I'm going to keep asking God to help me let it go. Take me deeper into forgiveness than I've ever been before. And I'm telling you, if I ever stop praying that prayer, I'm going to be a grumpy old Christian. And it'll be a sad story. Let's not go there. This thing about feeding your enemy and giving them water and you're heaping coals of fire on their head. A lot of different, people have different opinions on what that needs. It's kind of an idiom that was used at the time, but sometimes it was literal. Um... But the idea is, whichever, and you can look it up, it's, it's a fascinating Google, I'll tell you that. Go for it, or if you're on Faith Life, check it out and, uh, and log us because there's some really interesting stuff about it. 
the bottom line is, is that the idea is, is that when we respond in an unusual way to people who are opposed to us, it does something to them. It messes with them. And we don't do it to mess with them. But what we know is, is if it gets inside their head that why? That's, I don't get why. That, ooh, that, last time I did that to them, they didn't respond as, as chill on that. Um, what is going on there? Shines the light on their issues. Maybe they start sensing some shame over the unresolved stuff in their life. And we all know that when, when shame hits us, we have a lot of choices. We can, either, um, we can either deny it. We can either go, you know, get mad and go deeper into destructive behavior. We can make excuses. We can blame people. We can justify what we want to do. But sometimes when we sense the depth of what is wrong and broken in us, sometimes it drives us closer to getting help. And that's what this verse is about. The hope that, that these people could find help and healing and hope like we have on the day and all the days that God has shown mercy to us. Whether it's that they respond well, whether they think about it, whether they back off, they try to blow it off. Here is one thing that happens when we treat our enemies kindly. This is basically telling us it blows their minds. That was a cue. Boom! The low res emoji action. What do you think of that? Blows their minds. I, I thought that was cute. Obviously, I overestimated how cool that was. All right, we're going to wrap this up. We're going to get back to the last verse in our passage in just a moment. But I just want to, I want to circle back to our, the sermon in a sentence, the one thing that I think is the most important thing for us to remember. As we look through these 30 commands, these 30 do's and 30 things, and some are do's and some are don'ts, it's life focus that creates lifestyle. It's our focus. And I just want to remind you, through the words of Scripture, what our focus is. And then we're going to have a time of worship, and then we're going to go. All right? I'm going to start with Ephesians chapter 2. In this passage in Ephesians chapter 2, 4 and 5, verses 4 and 5 says, But God is so rich in mercy, and He loved us so much, that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. He loves us so much. And he has so much mercy, so rich in mercy. that he chose to pour it onto us. That is our focus. And that's what builds our lifestyle. There was a story in the New Testament of Scripture when in, one, in the Gospels where Jesus was going about doing his ministry. And one, one day he was having a meal at, at the home of a pretty important person, a guy named Simon. And when he was having that meal, it was somewhat, it was a meal in this guy's house, but it was also kind of a public event. People could come and kind of watch what was going on. And one person that came was this lady. Luke chapter 7 uh, tells the story about this lady that she was, uh, she was a sinful woman. And she also, but she had an alabaster box full of ointment and probably perfume, ointment stuff. And it was super expensive. It was probably the most valuable thing that she had in her life. She had had an encounter with Jesus where he had ministered to her and helped her and she began to heal in her heart. She was so blown away by what Jesus had done for her. He found, she found him at this meal. And in front of everybody, she broke open the box and poured all the ointment out I mean it all spilled out it was gone irretrievable never can get it back it's there boom and she's weeping because she's so moved by what Jesus did in her life 
and uh, and he said, and and so, and she's actually dry, and Jesus's feet with her hair is a super meaningful, powerful moment, but it was also a little awkward. And the guy that was hosting it, Simon, he was thinking, he was whispering to his buddies, he was like, man, if this, pro- if this guy's a prophet, he would know that this woman has no business even being in the room, much less touching him and doing this thing with this emotional display at his feet. And Jesus knew what they were thinking. So Jesus said, hey, Simon, I got something for you. I'm going to tell you something. And Simon said, lay it on me, teacher. And so Jesus said, Say that, I'll tell you a story. Let's say there was a money lender, and the money lender loaned two guys money. One guy, he loaned a bunch of money. One guy, he loaned just a little bit of money. One day, the lender decides, you know what? I don't even, I'm not going to make these guys pay me back. I'm going to forgive the debt. So Simon, Jesus says, Simon, which one of those two guys is going to love the lender more? And Simon says, well, probably the one that owed him more. And he said, yeah, you're right. And she said, and Jesus said to him, he said, you've not, you've not treated me the way this woman has treated me. And the verse is verse 47 of, of Luke chapter 7. And it says, I tell you, her sins that part gets me. That part gets me because I think about myself. And anyway, he says, I tell you, her sins, and they are many, I've been forgiven. So, because of that, she has shown me much love. But a person who has forgiven little shows only a little love. A little bit of irony in the last statement Jesus makes. Not like a joke, but it's also kind of a spotlighting to Simon that his problem was he didn't think he'd been forgiven much because he thought more highly of himself than he should have. You know, Paul talked to us about that in the first part of this passage tonight, today. And so Jesus said, look, um, she's, she knows how bad it was and you don't, Simon. So my, her connection to me is that much more powerful. And honestly, it's just sad. It's just sad for Simon is what it is. Because he had the same opportunity to receive the forgiveness from Jesus. But he didn't. It's an old song from a Christian artist from back in the 90s said, the line that says, there's no one more thankful to sit at the table than the one who best remembers hunger pains. And no heart loves greater and the heart that's able to remember the time when all that felt was shame. Here's the deal. We're in a room here, and we're watching online, and we're watching this video recording, and we're a, we're a group of people who know what it feels like to be hungry spiritually. We know what it feels like to feel shame. Like, that's all we felt. opportunity is that every day of our life not just on Sunday when we're here listening to this music but every day of our life we have the opportunity to take our life to take whatever we think is left of our life and break it and pour it out at Christ's feet and say Lord this is it this is, you know what Lord because of what you did for me you have me you have it all. It, it, it might not even feel like much, but Lord, you have it all. So today, show me somebody I can help. Show me somebody I can bless. Show me how to forgive. Show me how to do the unusual thing and treat those who mistreat me better than they're doing by me. Every day, we have the opportunity to bring whatever we got and pour it out at Jesus' feet and just say, Lord, I'm pouring it out. I'm not asking for it back. 
I'm just spending it for whatever you have for me. Now, there might be some of us who've never even talked to God like that before. You don't even know where you stand with God. I want you to know that today could be the day that you call out to Him because the Bible says if you call out on the name of the Lord, you'll be saved. That mercy that we've talked about all morning could be for you. If you've never done that, if you never bowed the knee to Christ, why not today? Let's do it today. I'll do it with you. We'll cry out to the Lord together. If you want to reach out and invite Christ into your life, do this with me. Pray this with me. Let's bow our heads, everyone. Pray this with me. Father in heaven, I need forgiveness. I need to be saved. I can't save myself. Help me turn from my sin. Help me live for you. Save me, Lord. In Jesus' name. If you prayed that simple prayer, you just got born again. It's the best day of your life. You're in for an amazing ride. I encourage you, talk to somebody about it. Let us know here at this church. Put it in the chat. Call somebody. Call your mom. Call your friend. Tell them, I called out on the name of the Lord. I got born again today. Tell them. You might not even understand fully what all that means. None of us did, but it's a great story. I want us to end today, whether you're watching online, whether you're in here in person, I want us to end today with a moment to pour out our lives to the Lord. Like that woman did in the story. The last statement Paul makes in Romans chapter 12 is he said, don't be conquered by evil, but overcome evil with good. This is how God wins. This is how the kingdom of God wins. When God's children pour it out, we just pour it out to Him. This is how He wins. Let's make today a win for God's kingdom. Let, let's make this moment a win where we remember our pain and our shame and we pour our lives and our praise and our adoration out on the one who saved us. Stand with me, if you will, and sing this song with us. The words will be on the screen. It's a simple song, but it's our way to pour our hearts out to the Lord.